you would please open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 6, where we'll be picking back up where we left off last week. As we know, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, through the whole counsel of God here at Calvary Chapel. And we left off uh, at the end of chapter, verse 5, I should say, of chapter 6. We'll, so we're going to just take a, verses 6 through 10 today. And follow along here, it says in verse 6, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, as we pick back up here in our teaching here in the book of Galatians. We learned last week, and we'll continue here this week, that a believer is free from the law of Moses. We're under the auspice of grace, not of the law. We're under the possession of the liberty in the spirit, and we do not live under the, the spirit of the law. But, the, but he, we must be fulfilling the law of Christ, which is love. The love of God and the love of others, as we learned in chapters 5 into 6. But then this, has, this power that God gives us, the power of the Holy Spirit, allows us to live a life that is good and is right as he guides us step by step through each day of our lives. We don't need the law to keep us in order. We have the God of Almighty living within us, the Holy Spirit, to guide us through our day-to-day -day life. So people, so many times, is when you get saved, you think you need to have the rules and regulations to govern your life. But you don't. We need the Holy Spirit guiding us by his word to guide us in day-to-day -day life. And he will instruct us and guide us and enlight our paths. And we have this freedom, this liberty to live by the Spirit. We don't need the law of man to do that or rules and regulations made up by a religious people to make that work for us. Because we have God himself living in us, guiding us. He has the word of God that speaks to us and guides us and instructs us of our daily life. And so when we see this, we see the power done by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Such a life involves a sacrificial service directed by, by the Holy Spirit in the life of others. And so we saw last week in chapter 6, verse 1, we saw that we had the sacrificial service toward the Christian who has sinned, who has was caught up, it was catched up to him, and he's fallen to sin. We're out of love toward that brother or sister to come alongside and encourage them to come back to what the truth of God is and come away from that sin and, and stay away from that sin and to trust in the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep you away from that sin. But we're to restore. We're not to condemn. We're not to judge. We're to restore that brother back 
into fellowship with God and one another. We saw also last week that we had the sacrificial service. We're supposed to sacrifice here toward the Christian who is heavy burdened. There's going to be heavy burdens that are coming in people's lives, and we're to come along and help shoulder a little bit of that weight. Sometimes someone has their backpack on, they're marching along in life, but that pack can get really heavy in the heat of time of life. And so God has called you and I as a brother and sister to come alongside if he's put on your heart, to come alongside as he directs your life, come along and help pick up some of that weight of that heavy pack that that someone's living in. I mean, think about it. A fire, God has allowed a fire to come in and destroy They have no clothes. They have no food. They have no place to live. God puts on your heart to come alongside and house that person, to provide the clothing, to provide the necessary needs, to help them through that heavy burden that is placed upon them. But today we will see in verses 6 through 10, we see two more things that will have and involve that God is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, showing Paul to write in the end of his letter here, to the sacrificial service toward the pastor teacher, and also in verse 10, toward all men. So we see the next two parts of chapter 6 here. And it starts here in verse 6. It says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So the first thing that Paul is saying here in this context of caring for one another, because that's the whole aspect of practical Christian living in chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians is this practical. How do we take all this doctrine, all these things that God is showing, how do we practically live that out here? And in one of these things he talks about today is how do we care for one another? In this case, he's showing that Paul is showing to the Galatian believers there that he instructs them that if you are taught the word of God, you're taught the things of God, that you're to share in all good things with him who teaches you. Now, I have to tell you, this is a very difficult passage for me to teach. Because if you look at this passage, this passage is, 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 is as important as any of the other scriptures that we see in the Bible. But it's important, and yet it's very awkward for me as a pastor to teach that. Because it brings attention to me, and I don't like that, and it does, any pastor doesn't like that. Martin Luther makes it clear this way. He says, these passages are like meant to benefit us ministers. I must say I do not find much pleasure in explaining these, ver- these verses. I, I am made to appear as if I am speaking for my own benefit. So even Martin Luther understood how difficult this is to sit here and say, you, you know what the, you know, the word of God says? Those who teach you. You are to then support financially your support on all good things to those who are teaching you? Why is Paul having to say this? Well, we're going to learn on, uh, later on here why that's probably important, why he has to repeat that. Because people's hearts were growing cold to the truth of God. And when you grow cold to the truth of God and get over here and distracted by false teachers like the Judaizers, or over here distracted on rules and, and religious regulations, people's hearts grow cold to the war, toward the person who's teaching, and they stop giving to what God has called them to do is to support the ministry. So anytime you sit there and you stop giving, you know there's something not right. It's something's distracting you is what Paul is saying here from doing what God's called you to do. 
The right relationship between a teacher and those who are taught. The minister, the congregation. The word let, the very first word in chapter, or verse 6, and the word share, both have a same meaning of koinonia. It is the sharing between one another. Let us share. Let us have koinonia time, sharing a meal together, sharing the resources that God has given one another. But to come together, and God is saying here, the responsibility of each believer is to shoulder the financial support of the pastor teachers in the church. Now, this is very basic. Most people say, well, this is not... No, I've always been taught that. It's not something simple. But you have to understand, even though it's basic, sometimes it is one of the most neglected spiritual principles in those in the church today. Those who feed and bless you spiritually should be supported by you financially. But so many people today get on websites and all other things looking for te- multiple, keeping up multiple teachers for themselves, and there's no sense of giving to help support that. Because they can just take and give and and take from any tree they want to, however they want to, whatever they feel like tasting for the day. And there's no commitment. There's no accountability. There's no nothing. They're just, I could just take, 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 take. But God says, no, that becomes a very spiritual selfishness that will set within a person's life. And you will not give at all to the work of God. Paul repeats the same principle several times to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 9.11, if, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Paul says even in, in, in verse 14, so even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be accounted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. He even says in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, if you trust them with your spiritual health, you should also trust them to steward the gifts of God's people. So as you bring your tithes, your gifts, and your offerings, you're trusting in God using that person not only to teach you spiritually, but also to take that and to use that for his kingdom appropriately across all aspects of that ministry. See, perhaps the Judaizers were sitting there and not only coming in and bewitching the brothers and sisters, as we learned early on in, in the book of Galatians. They were straying and bringing them back to the, the religious rituals, the circumcision, the way you eat, the what you do, the, you get them distracted away from the, the truths that God uh, was teaching them through Paul. And these Judaizers were not only influencing those believers to believe things that were contrary to the word of God, but then they were calling, changing the hearts of the people and having them grow cold so they would not invest in or be part of within the ministry by giving. And that's one of the things that will stop, usually indicate right at the very beginning, is they'll stop giving to the work of God in that ministry that God has planted them in. Martin Luther also said, I have often wondered why all the apostles reiterated this request with such an embarrassing frequency. We have come to understand why it is necessary to repeat the admonition of this verse. When Satan cannot suppress the preaching of the gospel by force, he tries to accomplish his purpose by striking the ministers of the gospel with poverty. 
If you can't get someone to stop teaching the truth, make them so poor that they're distracting and keep them away from teaching the gospel. Satan will some, some way to somehow suppress so that the word doesn't get out. We have seen that certainly across our ministries here with the challenges that came with the radio station starting up and other ways that we were trying to get the word out and how the enemy would come against us and to take and, 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 and take the resources that we wanted to move forward and, and, and deviate that onto other things. But God is so faithful. God's going to have his way, and he did. He brings things right back and, and, and provided for the ministries. We have not. We started in the... The, the Ramada. It was Kathleen, Heather, myself, and, and Pastor Rich and Heather. We had nothing. We didn't even have a place to live yet. But God faithfully has provided just from us from ever since the very beginning of time, and since 2011. God has been so faithful. We have gone with nothing, without, I and mean, we've always had provided for us. So we've never had concerns. Because God is in control. Remember, this concept of voluntary giving was new to these believers. If you remember, back in this time, these Jews were taxed for the support of their priests. They, they showed up and made sure you gave your tithe. They got the little envelope. I didn't see your little envelope come in this week, you know, and we know how much you make and you didn't give your 10% this week. Or this month. The Gentiles, they were also had to pay fees. They had to make vows and etc. to be able to be part of the religious experience. And now here Christ comes and there's freedom. You can be free to give. There is no requirement. And now these believers had the freedom to give or not give based on what God sh shows them. And what happens is now the enemy comes in and says, let's just deviate you away from and divert your, your resources so that you will not give to the work of the ministry. See how Satan works. So this was all new to the, the, these Galatian believers. I don't have to give? No, you don't have to give. That's why we don't collect tithes here. You, you freely give. There's a birdhouse there and there's a birdhouse out there. God freely takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of us. You freely give to the work of God. We don't pass a bucket around here. Because it's between you and the Lord. But back then, this was all new. They were used to have to be forced to do it. But now out of love, you desire to do it. Not because you have to, because you desire, because the love that you have for one another. That is why we respond the way we respond. Now, as we continue here in verse 7, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. See, the basic principle of sowing and reaping is found throughout the entire Bible. As you study from cover to cover, you will see that principle through and through. God has ordained that we reap what we sow. That is rule number one. You will reap the same what you have sown. There's, you can't get around it. Whatever you give it, put into it, you will receive back. You can't get, get around it. He says, it, where it is not the law or the, 
the, the, the, the principle of what they call cause and effect. The whole, the whole concept of cause and effect would not even be real to us except from the fact that we have this rule of sowing and reaping. The farmer sows wheat. We can expect a reap of wheat. Can you imagine if that wasn't the case? You're a farmer, you throw out seed, you expect wheat, but you get back barley. Can you imagine the chaos that would be happening within the, around the world? Because you have no idea what, you're, what you sow, what you're going to get back. You don't have a clue. But now what you understand, the cause and effect, you understand what you sow, you shall reap. You know that as a farmer, you put out this, you're going to get this back. And so you can predict that. How much and all those other things may vary, but you know you're at least going to get back the wheat that you were actually sowed. So for those who are hesitant to sharing all good things, he's saying here for the pastor who teaches you and you're going to give these good things to this pastor, this person who's teaching you, Paul reminds them of this God's principle of sowing and reaping, that you will sow what you will reap what you sow. You're not throwing your money away. It's like planting seeds. Once you've planted those, you've planted those, you're going to reap what God is, asked, is, is going to give you. But he says there's a, there's a challenge here. Because when you do give, do not be deceived in regards to, oh, I'm not going to give. It's like throwing my money away. Oh, they've got too much money already. Oh, I don't know if I, I'm going to choose what I decide what I'm going to do with my money because it's my money. No, it's not your money. It's God's money. That's your first error. It's God's money, not yours. Second thing is that when you do give, if you don't give and you've been deceived like these Judaizers appear to be deceiving these Galatians and, and, and these false teachers are getting them to divert away from doing what God's called them to do, you're, you're mocking God. And Paul says here, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. You give nothing, you'll get nothing back. So many people say, oh, I still want to get all the blessings, but I'm not giving anything. Well, you've been fooled. You're mocking God. That won't work. The term here for mock means to, to have a, uh, a turn up your nose kind of a thing. It's like that blowing off, you know. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to give to that. I'm not spend my time doing that or my energy or level of resources. Are you? I got better things to do. God cannot be mocked. God sees all things, knows all things, and is everywhere here. And so he says, even Luther says, he puts it very strongly. Be careful, you scoffers. God may postpone his punishment for a time, but he who he but he will find out in time and punish you by for despising his servants. You cannot laugh at God. Wow, but you. I do not want anyone to pull the wool over my eyes and deceive me to a point where I then say, God, I'll do whatever I want to do with my money you've given me. No way. Why would you put that yourself at risk like that? Because you will reap what you sow. 
But Paul's point is that God's people should not share in all good things with him who teaches because he's a good, it is good for the teacher. You don't give money to someone who teaches you for them personally. What you do is they, they he's basically, Paul is saying you should do it because it is good for you who are being taught. The principle here is not the money is for the benefit of me or for the church as a whole. The benefit of you giving is for you who's being taught. Look at the verses. You give because you will reap what you sow. You sow nothing, you reap nothing. And you wonder why your life is the way it is. So again, understand the verses clearly. God has provided for us. This is not some preaching moment so I can somehow get the tithes to increase. God takes care of us. This is about your blessing. What you get to benefit from this. This is about you learning what it means to give freely to the work of God and allow God to, 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 you, you, to reap what you've sown. It's your benefit, not ours. Because Paul is sitting here very clearly to them. Verse 8, he says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting. So we see a couple of more rules. Not only what you, will, what you put in, you'll receive. That's rule one. But two is you reap later what you have sown. What you put in today, you will receive later. It's not immediate. It's like a delayed gratification kind of a moment. Hosea 8, 7 says, They sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind. Hosea 10, 12 says, You sow for yourself righteousness, you reap in mercy. So not only how much, how, what you give, but it, we see here clearly, it's important to know where you are sowing. You must sow. But where you sow is critical. Because some people can sow these resources into something, to someone that is going to, it's basically what Hosea 8, 7 says, you're going to just basically sow it to the wind and it's going to reap the woolwind. It's not going to benefit you at all. Because you've given your resources that God has given you to someone, to something, to some cause, or so whatever. That is not what God has wants you to do. So God has told us to be very careful where we sow. And it is the principle that Paul here is making. He looks at our material possessions as seed. Because we can see different kinds of seeds. We can see where those seeds are placed in or what kinds of soil they're placed in. And he uses an example of the flesh versus the spirit. You take these seeds, you, you spend that money in according to your flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You take that same seed, that money, and you sow it by the spirit and you will receive everlasting life there are two different destinations there two different results comes from that but i don't know about you the little bit of money that we do receive 
whatever that may be, we do not want to sow it to the flesh because it will bring a harvest of corruption, a rot. It, 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 the term is a rotting. It's, the fruit will just rot. It will be un, un, um, uh, you can't consume it. It won't be good for you to consume it. matter of fact, it will make you sick to your stomach. If you t- take that money and sow it to the flesh, you will actually turn your stomach and it actually will not benefit you at all. Actually will hurt you, corrupt your life. We've seen that all throughout this, many, many examples when that happens. And once you spend that money in the flesh, you cannot reclaim it. It's been sown. Once you sow it, it's been sown, and then you're going to reap the harvest from that. But the money sown to the Spirit, such as sharing with those who teach the word, will produce life. And in that harvest, will seeds be planted again for another harvest and on and on and on to eternal everlasting, right? Sowing to the flesh is temporary. It'll come to an end. It won't benefit you. Actually, it'll corrupt you. Sowing in the spirit will actually give you everlasting benefit. It may not be fulfilled here on this earth, but it will come to full fruition of reaping while when you get to heaven. Full reaping will happen when you get to heaven. So all the benefits of what you've sown into what God has directed you to do in the spirit. And if every believer only looked on his and hers material wealth as seed given by God and then planted it properly, there would be no lack in the work of the Lord in this world today. But unfortunately, many people, we take what God has given us and we sow it by carnality. We sow it by the flesh into the things of the flesh to please the flesh. And it causes and it never brings glory to God. And that's the part we constantly have to be praying over what God has given us. The resources say, God, what would you have us to do with the resources you've given us? And then just be obedient to what God is guiding you by the Holy Spirit to do. Then you have peace, you have joy and contentment because you love your God that much and for one another. Now, if we want to reap to the Spirit, we should not hesitate to sow to the Spirit. And whatever resources God has given us, we must be obedient and we must plant it and must do it. Now, what's interesting is when you sow to the Spirit, you never get just what you sowed. You take a farmer who reaps the same as he has shown, right? He sows, he plants the wheat, wheat comes back. If we sow to the flesh, the flesh will increase its size and strength and, and it, will, it will grow as well. But the farmer who puts it and in, 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 in does it in a way that's in the spirit and it does it by, by it's on the spirit, what happens is there actually is a benefit that overcomes or is more than what he's done. So I'll give you an example. You have an apple seed. You take as a farmer an apple seed, you plant that apple seed. Are you going to just get apple seed? No. You actually get apples with more apple seed. So not only can you partake of the apple and the benefit of that, but you can then turn around and those seeds actually germinate and go and plant more trees and more apples. And you get hundreds of apples, not just one apple, not just just seed. That's what God is saying. He says, you take this seed, you can plant it. You're not just going to get back what you have, but in the spirit, 
it will multiply, and you'll actually have fruit from it that you can actually partake of. Everlasting benefit. And that's the trick of the enemy. So many people say, I can't give, we don't have enough. We Got that. But what happens is, God says, trust me. It's by faith you live, not by sight. And if you would just do what I'm asking you to do and the Holy Spirit's guiding you, I'm not only going to take that little bit of money that I've given you and you'll be blessed because of your faithfulness, but I'm going to multiply it and you're going to benefit of it and you're going to be able to partake of it even, even if it's just part now, but completely when you get into heaven. But it's by faith, not by sight. You have to trust what God's word says. And when God's word says this, you know without a shadow of a doubt you can trust him. And that's where we must be. This principle must be applied. I mean, it even applies in the general application of life. We often get out of life what we put into it. Now, Paul, don't get me wrong here. Paul is not speaking about something that you hear very common these days. It's called spiritual karma. Oh, we will get good when we, are, when we do good. Or we'll always get bad when we do bad. And, we, and that's just bad karma. That is not what he's talking about here. Because if you hold on to that principle in such an absolute spiritual law like that, it would surely damn us, wouldn't it? Because if the things that we have sown in the flesh, if it was a guarantee that we would receive what we sown in the flesh, we would bring back, we'd be damned. But we've been forgiven by God's grace. What we're doing in the context here, he's saying, is it's monetary issues here. It's what the resources God has given you. What do you do with those does matter to God. Because what you sow with those those things that he's given you, it's going to reap back what you've sown in. And then if you do it in the spirit, it will multiply. It will be very fruitful for you. You can't get around it because God is faithful. But Paul's enemies, these Judaizers, did not have the same spiritual attitude. When you become a legalistic, you will not have that same attitude toward giving and receiving. You'll be, have a critical spirit and you will decide like you have complete control what you will or will not do uh, however you see fit. But Paul says sacrificed and labored that he might not be a burden to churches, if you remember. But these false teachers used the churches to promote their own schemes and their selfish ambitions and fill their own wallets. That's what false teachers do. But Paul says, I'm not going to be a burden. I can go have a job and take care of myself. and stuff. I, for the sake of the ministry, the sake of the unsaved, the sake of the weak Believers, I'll go get a job. I'll take care of it so you have no burden on me. So everything you give is just right back into the ministry. As long as God provides and guides that way, that is happening. But that didn't take away from the still the principle of what God is saying here in the scriptures today, that we are to love those who teach you by sharing and giving. You know, he had to teach the Galatian church, many t- the Corinthian church as well. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, speaking of the legalist. If one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. 
he had to teach the, uh, the believers in, in Corinthians as well about false teachers coming in and taking advantage of the sheep, the people, fleecing the people versus allowing the Holy Spirit to guide the people to do what he wants them to do with the resources that they gave them. But he gives us a promise. He gives us very clear promise here in verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So he's given the precept. He's given us this general rule of sharing in verse 6. He then gives us the principle, the truth behind that precept. The truth, why it's important for us to give. And we see that in verses 7 8. Now Paul gives us the promise, the guarantee, if you will trust God and do what he's called asked you to do. In due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's a key. That's the peril aspect, right? That's the peril of the promise. Getting weary in the work of the Lord. And then eventually fading or losing heart and stopping in the ministry. Because that's how the enemy works. The enemy comes in and tries to suppress the people, suppress what's going on, divert what it is, so that the, those who are teaching, those who are in, out there, as you are out there ministering within the body of Christ, you start losing heart because you become weary of what is going on. Paul is saying here, if you will trust in God's faithfulness of his promise, you will, you will reap what you sow. If you will just not lose heart, don't faint about this. It gets tough. It gets you wonder, how am I going to pay the bills in the house? Don't become, don't lose heart. Don't become, trust God. Go back, get on your knees and trust God. Guide me in how to do and work with the resources you've given me, Lord. What cuts do we need to make? What changes do we need to do? What do we need to start giving because we're not giving? Because we're, re we're reaping exactly what we've sown. Nothing. And we wonder why we're struggling financially. God says, don't lose heart. Trust in what I am telling you. You will reap what you sow. Give freely. Give out of love for me and for one another. And watch what I will do to continue to provide for you. He's faithful, my brothers and sisters. He's faithful. It's how, what we, how we managed our resources before God under this principle of sowing and reaping. We must put it to practice. That's what Paul is saying. It's practical living. You must practice these things. Not just know them. So many people know these principles, these precepts, these truths, but they do not apply them. And they wonder why it's not working for them. Paul is saying you must wisely with patience apply because just because you're someone, you don't receive it immediately. It could be it's later that you'll actually do it. Farmer plants a seed. He doesn't sit there and say, okay, let me go have coffee. And I come back and, oh, look at that corn. It's already produced. This is great. Anyone who's ever done a garden knows there's a lot of toiling and, and upkeep and patience before you see any fruit that comes from that garden. But God says, don't lose heart. Those seeds will produce fruit for you if you will just care for what I've given you. It will produce. 
The term here, lose heart, or, or this phrase of losing heart, in your translation, it might say faint, uh, refers back in that original language as like a fear and weariness as a woman experienced during labor before delivery. They're laboring, it's, it's tiresome, and you're like, is this ever going to happen? You know, you know. God is, is saying to that woman, it, it's going to happen. You're going to deliver that baby. Don't lose heart through the labor part. Stay with me here. I will bring you through this. You will have that baby in arms. But don't lose heart. It's only through that time of the work of hard work and painful work and and it's and it just it's not finished yet. It's unrewarded yet. It's just it's a lot of pain and effort and, and, and you're not sure if it's going to happen, but God is saying to you and to me, it will produce the harvest. It will come. The reaping will come at God's proper timing. And it will be now partially in this life, or when we get to the Bema seat, the, the, the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded for what we have done faithfully for God. 2 Corinthians 4 1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And I pray that you will not lose heart. But the question sometimes happens is, well, why do you lose heart? Why do you, you're sitting there and God's called you in the ministry of, a, of motherhood or as a wife or a husband or father or within the ministry you're called to teach children or to, to serve the cause and you start losing heart in doing what God's called you to do. What causes that to a person, you and I? Well, sometimes it's because spiritual weakness in one's life is caused because of lack of devotion to the Lord. You know, it's interesting when you take a look in 1 Thessalonians and, and Revelation chapter 2. There's two churches that God gives us. And he talks about the work, the labor, and the patience of those two different churches. The question is, when God speaks about those two different churches, the church of Ephesus or the Thessalonica church, What's the difference between those two churches when God talks about their work and their labor and their patience? Well, you probably know, don't you? When you take a look at the Ephesian church, they left their first love and was backslidden. We see that in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. When someone pulls away from doing what God's called them to do, and they've been bewitched, and they've been off of false teachings and stuff, their love grows cold, and that church grows cold toward the things of God. And when you grow cold to God, you grow cold to one another. You become distant. Well, the other church, the Thessalonica church, what was the difference in their labor and their work? Well, when you read there in their church, they worked of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. The difference between those two churches is the fact that their proper motivation of why they were doing it. Those in Ephesus, yes, they were working hard, but they weren't doing it in love. 
They were out there laboring and doing so people could see the work that they were doing, but they were not doing it faithfully. They weren't out there doing it in patience and with hope of the patience of knowing that this is pleasing God and it was only a matter of time the harvest would come. But the Thessalonica church, whatever they did, whatever they sowed, was sowing in faith, love, and hope. And that will bring a spiritual harvest that will multiply and feed and harvest more than you would ever imagine of the work you've done. That's what God has called us to do. Whatever God's called you to do, do it in faith and love and hope. And just continue and don't lose heart because God is going to produce the harvest. How easy it is for us to work for the Lord. When you permit the spiritual motivation of faith, love, and hope, to dominate and how difficult it is to continue in the ministry when you do not let those flourish in your life and you allow that to die in your life you will find that it becomes very difficult in the ministries that God's called you to do even Malachi 1:13 we see it the priests of Israel that Malachi had to come and address these priests because they were doing it out of the wrong heart we serve the Lord, but they serve the Lord by complaining nonstop. They're nonstop, constantly complaining of what God has called them to do. And Malachi had to sit there and he had to row. He says, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it. We don't want to be that weary. If God's called you to be a parent, don't be complaining about being a parent. You must do it out of the faith, the love, and the hope of God's calling on your life to be that parent. Or in the ministry, whatever it may be. But do it out of love, or you will grow weary. Spiritual weakness will set in your life. Sometimes we become weak because of lack of prayer. Luke 18.1 says, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You're losing heart? Check your prayer life because you will grow weak in your spiritual walk with God. Prayer is the spiritual life, what brings, like breathing is for physical life. You stop breathing, you become quickly, you become faint and lose heart. <laughs> You're falling. You will spiritually fall when you stop praying. You will collapse. You will lose heart. We must strengthen. We must continue to draw close to the Lord in prayer. We must pray. with. It's like breathing. It should be just nonstop throughout your day about all things, regardless of the size and complexity. Because it will, if not, you will lose heart in the work that God's called you to do. Sometimes we become weak because of the lack of nourishment. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And some people say, oh, I just don't feel, I feel hungry, I feel depleted, I don't feel God's speaking to me. All these kinds of terms that we can, Christianese can say. But the bottom line is, is, what is, your, what is how much time are you spending in the word of God to hear from him? 
you being nourished and being watered and to be able to get in strength. Because I assure you, if you cut your dietary, you cut out your food, it's only a matter of time you will become weak. You cut out the word of God, a good, healthy word of God. And I'm not talking about cotton candy here. I'm not talking about false teaching. I'm talking about the word of God in this word. Not the supplements of this word. I'm talking the word of God. If you're not in the word of God, you're not being nourished. It's only a matter of time you become spiritually weak. I guarantee you. It's not a question. It's only a question is when and how long it's going, you're going to be able to survive on the little bit you read two months ago. We must have a daily feeding to feed our bodies daily so that we do not grow spiritually weak. We need that nourishment. And if we keep trying to keep going without proper food and rest, we will weaken. And how important it is to wait upon the Lord, to, to get the strength we need each day. We see that in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. And Paul makes it very clear for us. Paul gives us here, will help to keep us going. In due season, we shall reap. The fruit will come in the right season, at the right time. Because we need to allow the seeds to take root and to bear the fruit. We must remember this. We must remember the Lord of the harvest is in charge and not the laborers. I think that is probably one of the, the tricks of the enemy certainly from the flesh. When you think as a laborer that you're in charge of the harvest, you've been deceived. You're not in charge of the harvest. You only need to be responsible and faithful to do the work that God's called you to do. He produces the harvest. Sometimes we become weak because of lack of fellowship. We see that in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We, even in the early church, the very first church, we see in Acts 2, 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You will grow spiritually weak, my brothers and sisters, if you forsake the fellowship. If you don't come around the people on a regular basis, then what will happen is then God is not able to use someone in your life or use you in someone else's life. And you will grow selfish and grow cold spiritually and you will have a desire to stay away from the people of God. And that's not what you want. You must stay strong spiritually. You must stay in fellowship on a regular basis so that God can use you and use others in each other's life. And Paul ends here, or we'll end here in verse 10. Therefore, everything we just were reading, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. This verse is very critical for you and I. Because depending on where your heart is, you could be on the pendulum swing on one side or the other. 
you could sit there and say, when, you, when we have opportunity, sometimes people don't want to look for opportunities to help someone else. Some people say, I am so busy and so consumed with so many distractions, I don't want to even look up to think there people have there would be opportunities that people have need. If I don't look up and even ask anybody if they have need, then I won't know it. La, 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 la. I don't see it. I don't speak of it. Then I don't have to do something and be accountable about something. I just, I'll just avoid it. But he says, we have opportunity. Let us do good. Okay, I'll do good, but I'm only going to do it to certain people that I feel deserve it. I will give it to that person because I know they're working hard and they had some really bad opportunities that come up. It just didn't work out. They've been working hard. They're not lazy. They have a job. Okay, I'll give them some money. But that guy over here who doesn't have a job, doesn't seem like I have a job, I don't know his full story, but I don't know if I, I'm never going to give money to them. The scripture says to all people. It doesn't say to which ones you decide. It depends on what God says who you are going to put and help. Right? God's directive. It's not about you. God opens up an opportunity. He shows you opportunity. Now you're just being obedient, and it doesn't matter who the person is. You're just being obedient to what God is directing you to do. But he does say, especially to those who are in the household of faith, those, you and I, within the body of Christ. God says we are to use and help each other out in times of need. He says, don't lose heart here. We seek to do good with our resources, but do good to all people, but especially to those in God's family. Sharing the blessings involves more than just teaching the word of God and giving our material substance. It involves in helping people in unique ways as God directs us to these people. Think about it. Christ fed 5,000 people. Some were saved. Some were unsaved. But God is going to direct us, and we don't classify to the saved versus unsaved. To those who are who you like and the people you like, I'm not sure who they are and they're strangers. I'm not going to give it to them. No, to all people as God directs. The benevolence of Christians should not be restricted. But we're to to understand that we need to look within the body of Christ, and if there's opportunities, let us do good. Because. This is how our, shine, our light in our lives shine to those around us. That's how we glorify our Heavenly Father in heaven. We see that in Matthew 5.16. It's not only by the words that we use. It's not only by our words that we, how we witness to people, to the lost. But it's also through our works. We're saved by faith. Remember, this whole context is a justification by faith alone in Christ alone. You're not saved by works. But when you have a relationship with God and you have a relationship with him and he's directing your life by the Holy Spirit, it's a matter of fact, it's only a matter of time that you will re reap. There's a fruit of the Spirit will reap coming from your body, from your, your life. And all of a sudden, you're going to love others. And you're going to love others, not only those who are in the faith, but you're going to love those who are lost as well. 
It's a matter of just a, 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 what work God's doing through your life, the fruit of the Spirit, that people will be able to pluck from your life because you freely give. You have nothing in return. You're looking for nothing in return. But a legalist doesn't freely give. They ask the question, does this person deserve my good works? Does this person deserve my hard-earned money? That's a legalist. That's someone who walks in the flesh, not in the spirit. It's the question you must be asking yourself. Do we deserve what God did for us in Christ? We didn't deserve it. So who am I or who am you to then put a, a, a um, qualification on how God wants to use you and the resources he's blessed you with in the helping of other people? Nor should we be like a defense lawyer who tried to argue, if you remember, with Jesus, who is, your, who is my neighbor? We see that in, in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Remember, they challenged Jesus. Who is my neighbor? But Jesus made it very clear to them. It's, it's, it's not who is my neighbor, but to whom can I be a neighbor? Whom can I be a neighbor to? Who can I help someone who's in need next to me? God, show me who, who's that neighbor that I'm to love in a time of need. I don't get to pick my neighbors. You choose who my neighbor will be this day. As we do good to all people, keeping an understanding there's a priority to the household of faith, the fellowship of believers. Now, what this does not say is this does not mean that the local church should become some exclusive club with the members isolated from the world around them and do nothing to help the lost. We cannot be a church that says it's all for us and we'll keep it all within our little confines and nothing we'll do outside of this church. If they want anything and the benefits of this church, they must be members of this church and they have to get into the church, but they're going to go through the qualifications before we let that happen. That is not in the scripture. That is not anywhere in the scripture shows that. And we don't do that. We must find that balanced. Because there can be another time where you neglect the body of Christ, where God has brought you to fellowship, and you don't give here. You give outside of somewhere else, outside of the house, uh, outside the household of faith, and you give just to those who are uh, non-believers in there. And it, it, there's a balance because that's why Paul says here: you must not forget the priority within the house of faith. A man always cares for his own family before he cares for the neighborhood. We see that in 1 Timothy 5.8. We must understand that priority. We must remember we share with other Christians so that all of us might be able to share with a needy world. 
Social responsibility. Where's the balance? This verse does not say the church becomes a social work agency. If you look at the scripture, these verses speak of and talk to addressing you as an individual believer, not the church as a whole. You as a believer are to go out and do these works to help people in need. The churches do not become social networks of social work networks to do all the work. Not to say that we don't as we come together and we work together to help minister to those in need. But our main focus as a, as a church is to share the gospel. And as we go out and share the gospel, yes, we'll feed the hungry. Yes, we'll clothe the, the naked. Yes, we'll, the, the orphans, we will help and provide a roof over their heads. We'll do those things. But we're to do that to, to lead them to Christ. A Christian in the household of faith. May the Lord make you increase. As we abound in love to one another. And we overflow in love to all people. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. I do pray for each one of you. That you spend time with the Lord about the resources he's given you. He's maybe blessed you and given you many, many resources. Where you find today. Or you may find yourself where you're wondering if you're where your next meal is going to come from today. All of us should seek the Lord and say, Lord, what have you had for me today? Paul, he understood. I know how to, to, to live for you when I had a lot, and I know how to live for you when I didn't have anything. What matters is your heart of what you do with what God's asking you to do and just be faithful and obedience in doing it. And watch how God will take what you have sown and the reaping will come. Not only based on what you sowed, if it's in the spirit, it's going to come back good for you. If it's in the flesh, it's not going to come back good for you. Don't, don't be deceived, he said. You think you can sow bad, you can sow, sow in the flesh and still think you're going to be spiritually blessed? You're deceived. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. But where you serve it, but how much you serve it, but the faithfulness of serving. At the end, do you not want to sit there in front of our Lord and, say, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of the Lord. Sowing and reaping. May it be in the spirit. And may you be blessed. Father, we again thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the strong word this morning, Lord, that without question, your desires for us, your desire for what you would want to have us to do. Lord, give us your strength. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit to empower us to do what you're calling us now, the changes to be made, things to now do. We thank you for the encouraging words of, from your word today. Also, Lord, encouraging us of the fact that we are on track with doing what you've all called us to do. All the above, Lord. But we do trust in you. You're the great harvester. Let us be faithful laborers for your purpose and for your glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.
Amen, amen, amen.